ghosts, cryptids, murder, conspiracies, beer, what, the, ale. Hello, friends, and welcome back to What the Ale. I'm Alana Ray. And I'm Mama Jay. Um, so, Mom, what are you drinking today? Uh, today, I am drinking a um, Cellar Maker Brewing Company. Um, it's a strong porter, and it's called Best Beans. Awesome. That sounds good. Is it like, what's the flavors? Um, it definitely feels a little chocolatey to me. It's okay. very good. And it's got a cool, cool picture on the front. Nice. Um, well, I have an Arrogant Bastards Ale. Um, it's from Escondido, California, um, with the Arrogant Constortia. Um, and I know it's some type of IPA. I was trying to see if it's a double hole or a triple or what, but I can't really tell. So, yeah, but it's super yummy. <laughs> All right. Any what the ale moments this week? Um, yeah, I think one is definitely that I'm dog sitting in this like really, really fancy house in the Oakland Hills. And like, for those of you who don't know, apparently there are woods in Oakland. (laughs) (laughs) The house I'm sitting in, there's all these woods and it's like, there's turkeys and deer and coyotes and stuff. It's so not what you would think if you are in Oakland. (laughs) I know you think of it as being a city. Right, right. You know, some graffiti, some hip hop, you know. Um, Yeah, it's interesting for sure. But what about you, mom? Child, I stepped on a piece of glass today in my bare feet. And so I'm dealing with that. So that's my what the hell. (laughs) Because I don't even know where the glass came from. (laughs) My goodness, that's no fun at all. Um, All right, friends. So um, I believe today is mom's choice in terms of episodes. So what do you got? Well, I'm going to tell you about the mysterious life and death of a particular person. But before I tell you who it is, I want to see if you can finish this sentence. Okay. <laughs> a kiss on the hand, maybe. Quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. Holla! <laughs> okay. <laughs> So we are, for those of you who don't know that song, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, um, we are going to be talking about the fabulous Marilyn Monroe, known also as Norma Jean Mortensen. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, different theories around her death, whether it was murder, suicide, accidental overdose. Um, and when it comes to the murder, there are many different theories. Um, so we're going to try to get into all of that and see if we can solve her case today, which I don't think we will, but we could try. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Marilyn is one of those people have argued about, you know, what actually happened for decades now. Um, yeah. She is just so, it's crazy how like she was so, she was 36 and she had such an impact on pop culture. I mean, even today, you know, like yeah. it's. Oh, I love Marilyn. For those of you who don't know, I love old Hollywood. So we might have quite a few old Hollywood deaths and things. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. Um, so my main sources are um, the Unheard Tapes uh, that's on Netflix. And that was by um, Anthony Summer. And then um, there's also a, a podcast just dedicated to the killing of Marilyn Monroe. So I use that Washington Post Newsweek, Re- Reader's Digest and LA Times. I do want to say, you know, the two main sources that 
the um, Netflix show and the podcast, they have very different views on how she died. Um, you know, and there's a lot of conflicting timelines and who was there and all the things, um, but they came to different conclusions as to how she died. So, uh, but before we get into all of that, I do want to talk a bit about her life. So Marilyn Monroe was born Norma Jean Mortensen in Los Angeles in, on June 1st, 1926. Um, her mother, uh, her mother's name was Gladys and um, Gladys uh, had a lot of emotion and emotional instability. She um, was in and out of an asylum. Um, she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Um, and so she was pretty abusive uh, to Norma Jean. And Norma Jean never knew her father. Her mom um, had told her, you know, that it was uh, Charles Stanley Gifford. Um, and that's somebody that Marilyn um, never really met, you know, but the mom had said that when he found out about the pregnancy, then he left her. So the mom still loved him and blamed Marilyn's birth for the reason why he left. Um, on her birth certificate, it was written that Martin Edward Mortensen uh, was her father, and that was Gladys's second husband. But in 2022, there was a DNA test that proved that uh, Charles Stanley Gifford was her father. So she okay. never met him. Okay. Um, I have a question about just her name. Because um, mm-hmm. I know at one point she was known as Norma Jean Baker, wasn't she? Did you see that? You no, know, I, I don't I didn't see that name in any of my... Um, in any of my notes, but, um, you know, she was married three different times, but never took that name. Yeah. No. Cause the three has, I was just, it's not important. I, I thought for some reason it was Norma Jean Baker at one point, but maybe I'm, it may have been, maybe that was like a stage name before she found her final stage name. That's true. Yeah. But anyways, um, because of her mom's mental health and instability, um, she went through like 10 different foster homes. She was in an orphanage for a couple of years. Um, During that time, um, she was like molested and sexually abused multiple times by multiple different foster families. Um, And back then, I mean, it's kind of like it is today, you know, foster families were paid to take kids in. So a lot of times they would take kids in without good intention and they would just take the money but not really care for them you know they were they could be neglectful or abusive or in her case there was a lot of sexual abuse um and at the time you know even though she was telling people about it you know back then it was really seen as like you know if a girl was being abused sexually that it was somehow her fault no matter what her age was she enticed the man she you know it somehow was for her fault um so let's say for the record all victims and survivors it is not your fault yeah, Especially yeah we can very no matter what. <laughs> yeah, no, very loudly. We need to definitely say that. And I think most people agree with that now. I mean, there are still some people who don't do the right thing. Um, but anyway, so she she ended up with a caregiver named Anna Lower, and um she was actually very kind and um, you know, was very nurturing and everything, but her health began to fail. And so Marilyn was at risk of going into foster care again. So Anna, you know, not wanting to see her back in foster care, knowing everything she'd been through, mm-hmm. um, she ended up setting her up with James uh, Doherty and she was 16 at the time. But at that time, if you got married, they would release you from the foster system. So oh. she married James Doherty and he was a factory worker that worked with her at the factory that she worked at. Um, so she knew him and he, 
you know, he generally seemed like a really good guy. Like he took good care of her. He seemed to really care about her. Um, you know, so generally like good guy. Um, the one thing that they disagreed with often though, was that he didn't really want her to work or have a career. And she really wanted to be an actress and a model. Um, and so, you know, they had disagreed about that a lot. Um, now, before I go on about like how her career got started, you know, I just want to go over like, you know, sh because of the abuse, I mean, she had a ton of trauma. She had abandonment issues from her mom not being stable and not knowing her father um, and not knowing her father was a really big deal for her. Like she was always wishing and hoping that he would come to her and, and you know, have a relationship with her. Um, and so she tended to seek out a lot of father figure type people. Um, but you know, a lot of them ended up taking advantage of her. Um, but it, you know, is interesting. So she was this, you know, had so much stuff baggage and, and harm done to her. And so she was like this very vulnerable creature that was really wanting connection. Um, but she was somehow able to transform into this like powerful, like beloved sex symbol, you know, men all drooled over her and wanted to be with her. And there was something like very charismatic about her that made women, you know, really, uh, you know, be attracted to her too and appreciate her acting in her movies. Um, there was just something that drew people in. Um, and one of the, one of the people that um, were interviewed was saying that, you know, even though she often played like the ditzy blonde in a lot of the movies that she ended up doing, um, that she almost always won somehow at the end of the movie. And, and they think that that is what made women love her characters was because even though she was ditzy blonde, she somehow was strong. She overcame, she got her way. Um, so women tend to like appreciate that about her. Yeah. Well, and I mean, she's just like, I feel like in all the movies, even if she is the ditzy blonde, like she's so strong, like what is that line? Is it where it's like, you know, something about, like the men may have you know whatever but at least the pretty women have blah 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 you know or something yeah. like she kind of like owned it like she was just yeah like, she said like the men may have the money um yeah. well and she had made a comment that um you know <laughs> I don't know if this is what you're talking about but she had made a comment at some point about um that um you know for her like men having money is like women being pretty like you know yeah if you marry somebody who has money that's nice but that's not gonna solve everything and if you marry a girl who's pretty that's nice but you know that's not enough um so yeah I know she made a comment about that um so in her she became a model first and she was a cover girl at magazines and then she had some walk-on roles but like her career wasn't really going anywhere she wasn't getting a lot of recognition um and so um you know I guess I want to put out there that like the casting couch was a very real thing back then and um you know, and there was a, another actress later that said, you know, if you were an actress at that time, you ended up on a casting couch somewhere, somehow, or you didn't make it. Yeah. Um, and so that was definitely true um, in Marilyn's case. And, and that was uh, Claudette Colbert that said, uh, Colbert that, said that, um, that if you wanted to make it, you had to do what you had to do. Um, so her first big break came with Columbia Pictures, and um, she was in a starring role in Ladies of the Chorus. Um, but, you know, that it was a starring role and, you know, it, people like the movie or whatever, but it didn't, you know, really create instant frame for her. And um, they had a six month contract 
for her and they decided not to renew after that. And then she was with MGM Graham for or MGM for a bit, but then there wasn't a lot of success there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ben Lyon with 20th Century Fox gave her the name Marilyn because you know he had like a a loved one, you know, somebody in his life named Marilyn. He really liked that name. So he gave her the name Marilyn. And then she chose Monroe because that was her mother's maiden name. Okay. So um so there was uh, the president at 20th Century Fox, Joe Shank. Um, people say that he fell in love with her and he tried to make connections uh, between her and people that could help her career. And he fought to get her roles. And, um, you know, she started to get a little prestige. Um, and then he, you know, loved her so much that he left his wife and kids to devote his life to her. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'll do that. And then. <laughs> Yeah, but she still wasn't getting all the, you know, he tried, but, you know, he still wasn't getting all the roles. Um, and so then in 1949, she did a, note, a nude photo shoot. Um, and with a year, within a year of that, she got a big break. So in 1950, she had two different roles that year, and it was all about Eve and Asphalt Jungle. And in both of those movies, you know, she wasn't like the main character, um, you know, she was like in the top five of the stars in the movie, um, but most people didn't know her. But because, um, you know, even though the parts were small, the fans really loved her and wanted to know more about her and all of that. And so um, because of that, they um, they ended up offering her a seven year contract. And, you know, her partner died within a year of that contract and Marilyn was devastated, but, you know, he had done enough to set her career on an unstoppable path. And within the next few years, she did 10 movies. Wow. Um, So, you know, and then one of the things that I do want to comment on though, is like when she was later asked about like posing nude, cause she had done one nude photo shoot and then made a calendar. Yeah. And when she was questioned about it, like they were asking, well, what did you have on? Like in a judgmental way, like wanting her to say that she was fully nude. Um, and instead of shying away or denying it, she just said that she was wearing Chanel number no. five. <laughs> and so, you know, that was seen as like unapologetic. And some people really respected that. Um, and, so, you know, but then, you know, there were other people, you know, that saw that as scandalous. Um, and so some of their perceptions were uh, tainted by that, just by her doing the photo shoot at all. And then by her reaction to that question. Um, so then there was the decision made to um, connect her with Joe DiMaggio um, because the romance could distract from that, you know, the, pe- the people that were not a fan of her nude um, photo shoot and they wanted to help her image. So she connected with D- Joe DiMaggio and um this was in 1954, um, and they, you know, they got married. Um, there, you know, every account of people that knew him or knew them were very clear that he loved her very much. Like he devoted his life to her. You'll hear later in the story, like all the ways that he showed up for her, um, you know, throughout her life and then after her death. Um, so I do believe he really did love her. Um, but people also said he was overly possessive of her and kind of controlling and there was some domestic violence in their relationship. Um, and so, you know, um, one of the incidents that ended up leading, leading to the end of the marriage was when they were filming seven year itch and you know, the scene I'm talking about, (laughs) he was not a fan of the white dress subway scene. 
Um, he really was upset that she, you know, was showing more than he thought she should be showing. You know, at the time the scene was filmed, there were um, not just the cast and crew, there were um, reporters and other people around watching that because it was, you know, on the street in New York. Um, and he was there and he was really upset. So uh, Marilyn's hairdresser said that Joe beat her up that night. Um, and then nine months after the, wet the wedding, the marriage ended in divorce. Um, she also married. Well, didn't, they do the, um, didn't they do the skirt scene twice? Like they did it as a publicity stunt too. And wasn't that why he was so mad? I heard oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, I don't know. But there was the, like other people there. Yeah, I heard they did it twice, and one of them was a publicity stunt, and he was like vehemently okay. against it. But okay. I don't know. Maybe that's what it was, but yeah, he was very upset. <laughs> I mean, um, oh well. <laughs> so um, she also, so that was her second marriage. She was married a third time to Arthur Miller, and he was a famous playwright. Um, she was 29 at the time, and he was 40. Um, okay. Um, but, you know, I think that she, you know, she liked the idea of getting with like powerful men who could maybe help her in her career. Um, and so she saw him as somebody who could do that partly because she wanted to maybe move from movies um, and film to doing, you know, maybe um, some plays and theater and he was a playwright. Um, right. At some point she found notes uh, that her husband had written about how disappointed he was in her and, um, it said something like, I thought she was an angel, but I, I guess I was wrong. Um, and, and that he, uh, married someone as flawed as his previous wife. <laughs> so okay. obviously, <laughs> yeah, so obviously she was very upset by all that. Um, during their marriage though, um, you know, people say that they had a couple of pregnancies and um, they ended in miscarriages and that she was also diagnosed with endometriosis. And so she was having a lot of pain and um, symptoms related to that. Um, and so, you know, that's, but that's the, you know, how that marriage ended. And then she divorced him in 61. And that was the same day that John F. Kennedy was inaugurated. And, um, and that's when they entered the picture. <laughs> so... <laughs> um Alana what do you know about her relationship with the Kennedys um I know that they really really liked her and yes. that's like to deny that anything really was going on with them but we know that stuff was going on yeah uh, I mean I don't know all the I mean I know the key players obviously um but I also want to note like something really interesting that I learned recently is that I had never heard Jackie O speak and Jackie's voice is very similar to Marilyn's. If oh, really? And I had never, I had never noticed it before. I never thought about it. And I just thought that was a fun little nugget. <laughs> huh. I don't know that I've ever heard her speak either, but yeah, I had it. be interesting. Hear, you always hear JFK. You never hear Jackie O. So, um, yeah. I don't well, know. Marilyn wrote a letter to Jackie at some point, so we'll talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> okay. So, um, the rumors around the relationship with um, JFK and Robert Kennedy are that um, their sister Patricia was married to Peter Lawford, um, who's a British actor, and um, he was a member of the Rat Pack. He was so pretty. He was so fun. <laughs> that man, when he sang. That fellow with an umbrella song. Can we talk? Oh, anyway, not important. But I, who, 
when I was like 12 and saw that movie, I was like, this man. <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah, so he was their brother-in-law. He was married to their sister, Patricia, and he ended up having um, a beach house and they would have these lavish parties at his beach house and the Kennedy brothers would often come to those. Um, and Marilyn was often there, you know, a lot of Hollywood elite was there. Um, and so, you know, there are all kinds of different rumors. Um, but I mean, there are definitely rumors that she had an affair with both of them at the same time. Um, um, there were rumors that she um, snuck off with one or both of them at different points when both of their wives were present at the party. Um, so there were all kinds of rumors about that. There were also people that said that um, the pattern that the two brothers had, which uh, was that uh, JFK would... Um, you know, spend time with a woman. And then when he was done with her, he would like pass him along to Bobby Kennedy as oh. a way to like let her down. And then, you know, Robert Kennedy would like console her and whatever. And then he would have his time with her and then he would end it. And by then it's a little more distant from the president. Um, Wild. Okay. Yeah. And for anybody that doesn't know, I mean, history, you know, uh, JFK was the president at the time and Robert Kennedy was the attorney general. Um, so, you know, very high position of power himself and yeah, so it was scandalous, but at the time, you know, a lot of people didn't know about it, the press and things like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of the Hollywood elite knew about it cause they'd see them at parties and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, at some point, um, Marilyn, I guess JFK was trying to end things with Marilyn and, um, she got, really upset about it and so she wrote a letter to Jackie and basically said you know I'm taking your man and I'm gonna replace you as the first lady of the United States Ooh, Marilyn that's well I mean <laughs> yeah so that did not go over well at all and um and like so JFK started trying to like distance himself from her a little bit but um, you know, the interesting thing was like shortly after, um, she wrote the letter to, uh, Jackie, that was, um, around the time that it was the president's birthday. And so she sang the famous happy birthday, Mr. President. Oh. Um, that was just two weeks before she died. Um, and, um, and Jackie did not go to his birthday party. So even at the time, people were like, why isn't Jackie here? Where is she? Why is she missing her husband's birthday? I um, didn't even know Jackie wasn't there. That's why. Yeah. So that was a thing. Um, so, um, you know, I, I wanted to give the background on um, the president and the attorney general so that we knew there was a relationship there. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about her mental health um, and obviously tons of trauma, tons of abandonment, you know, so depression and anxiety is a thing. Um, but the other thing that was really prevalent back then and, you know, prevalent with all kinds of actresses, Judy Garland, you know, um, probably a lot of them um, was that, you know, people were feeding her uppers and downers so they would feed her uppers to get her through a long work day they would feed her downers so that she could sleep at night um you know there was a lot of drinking she was you know doing all the, going to these parties and events so there was a lot of like mixing champagne with the uppers and downers um and so you know there was a lot of um 
you know, total evidence that she a lot of times was out of it, um, stumbling around. Um, there were times when she wasn't able to work. Um, and she, um, did have a couple of suicide attempts and, um, you know, with pills and she had written notes for those attempts. Um, and so like one of them was in 1961 and she was in the pain with me psychiatric clinic. Um, and when she left, like the press mobbed her, I don't know if you've seen the video, but she has to put on like this happy face and saying she feels wonderful and all of that stuff, because that was her image. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is this is one of the places where Joe DiMaggio rescued her because she was in there for four days and she called him and was like, you have to get me out of here. Like she didn't feel like she was getting good care. Um, so she called him and he did, he, you know, he came and even though he had no power to take her out, they weren't married anymore. You know, he was just kind of a, a big, bold guy. And he was like, no, you're letting her out. And so they let her leave with him. Um, and so, you know, she, I think she was really grateful for that. Yeah. Um, Did they ever, I thought they like got back together at one point. Is that true? Well, we are going to get there towards the Sorry. end. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there was like, you know, just a lot of, um, you know, her having issues and, um, and not able to work. Um, okay. So the last role that she completed was the misfits in 1961 and it was um, that was written by her, her ex-husband um, Miller, and um, and she had divorced him one week before the film's opening. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, you know, um, but the Misfits turned out to be a flop, and it did not do well at the box office. It had a lot of criticism, and so you know, this was a um, another time where you know she kind of went off a cliff a little bit and was drinking a lot. Um, you know, just not doing well mental health wise. Um, and then, you know, but shortly after that, cause that was released in February of 61 and then April 62, um, they were filming something's got to give with 20, 20th century Fox. Yeah. And, um, and there was like several delays and, um, Fox publicly blamed her for the production problems. Um, you know, mental health, not showing up at all, not showing up on time, yeah. Um, I'm just not being able to film because of her condition. So, um, they went ahead and fired her. Um, and, uh, Dean Martin refused to complete the film without her. Um, and he insisted that they rehire her. Wow. Uh, and, you know, they really didn't want to, but, you know, they didn't want to lose him and they had already filmed a lot of movies. So they ended up, um, you know, rehiring her. And the good news about that though, was when the production resumed, her contract was a better deal for her. She was making more money and she was underpaid her whole career. Um, so, you know, I mean, it sucks to get fired and have the press know, you know, about the struggle she was having. Um, but it ended up being better for her financially once she got back in it. Um, but you know, the, the film was never completed, uh, because of her death. Okay. So, we can get into the um, the events of the night of her death. And I really want to stress there is a lot of controversy over the timeline and who was there. Um, there's even questions about whether an ambulance came and who was called first and um, all the things. And one of the things that is in question, but there are many witnesses who say it's true, was that um, Bobby Kennedy was there. 
and um, that he was there the day of her death, that he was there to end the relationship with her. Okay. Um, now, the reason, the, I mean, there are a few different reasons why he supposedly wanted to end the relationship. Um, one of the things was um, that she had traveled to Mexico. You know, she was um, going to buy furniture and like ended up, you know, meeting people. And, you know, she was vacationing, meeting people, going to parties and things like that. And some of the people at the parties were in the Communist Party or known to be um, affiliated with the Communist Party. Um, so there were rumors that he had to distance himself from her because of that. Um, there were also rumors of, um, you know, that she was really upset by the way she had been treated and passed around by the two of them and very disrespected that, um, she threatened that if he didn't come and talk to her that day, um, you know, cause he had tried to end things you know, separately and not in person and all that. And so um, she, there were threats that if um, he didn't come there that day, then she was going to go public with the affairs for both of them. Um, and so, you know, there was, it was said that he came there to like calm her down and try to reassure her and get her quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to say that <laughs> at the time of her death, she was under wiretaps from many different people. Um, And yeah, so the story behind that is that, um, you know, the the FBI and the CIA was worried about the relationships that she was having with them. Um, So they hired a private investigator and set up some wiretaps, or they set up their own wiretaps. A private investigator was brought in by the mafia to set up wiretaps so there was a period of I think it was like two years where um her phones had been tapped and different people were looking at her for different reasons and this is where we get into the like who might have killed her um so um the you know at the time there was um um you know, the mafia, there was some um, casinos that were in Cuba and because of Fidel Castro's control, um, he had like shut down their access to the, um, or actually the Kennedy shut down the access to the casinos to like basically piss off Fidel Castro. And um, so the mafia was really interested in getting control of those casinos back. And so there was rumors that they had the wiretap and you know we're watching her because they wanted evidence of the relationship with JFK and Bobby Kennedy so that they could use that to um as leverage to like get what they wanted from the president and the attorney general um and um so let's go over like how she was found and what the timeline was um it's really a bit confusing because it depends on who you ask so in the um, Netflix special, um, the housekeeper says that she found um, Marilyn dead in her bed and holding the phone with a bottle of sleeping pills near the bed. There was no notes. Um, and there are different accounts of the timeline. So Eunice has said that she went to Marilyn's room at about 8 p.m. and Marilyn was fine. And then at 3 a.m. she noticed the light was still on and the door was locked. So she called Marilyn's psychiatrist. Now, I do need to tell you a bit about the psychiatrist. 
um, because, you know, he was somebody that was treating her for the two years uh, before her death. And his name was uh, Dr. Ralph Greenson. And um, he he described her as not having schizophrenia, but having a tendency towards paranoid reactions. Um, That she had orphan girl rejection issues. That's how he worded it. Orphan girl rejection issues Um, uh, due to neglect and abandonment. Um, She had a deprived childhood and she's in need of a family. So because of all of that, he said, well, what she really needs for treatment is a family. So he started having her spend time with himself and his family. (laughs) Yeah, which, you know, is not okay in so many ways. Um, but he also fell in love with her and had an affair with her during the time that he was treating her. Um, and so, you know, obviously he's a very problematic person. He's another person who, you know, took advantage of her. I mean, he was supposed to be a safe person to her, you know, took advantage of her, um, manipulation and, uh, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, so apparently the um, housekeeper called him first when um, when she said that she noticed Marilyn. Um, well, and she said that she called because Marilyn wasn't answering the door and the door was locked and that he came and saw her through a window and that he broke the window to get to her and then turned to the housekeeper, Eunice, and said, "We, I think we've lost her. Um, now, in the one report, they report that they called the police at 425 a.m., um, and there are different accounts. So, you know, she was found, um, or she was, the light was seen on at 3 a.m., called him, he came over, and there are different accounts. So one of them says that they called her um, primary care physician, and that he, you know, that, so Green, Dr. Greenson, the psychiatrist, called the primary care physician who had been prescribing her all the sleep medication and the uppers and all that, um, and they brought him in first, and then they called the police after he was there. Um, there are also other accounts, depending on who you ask, that an ambulance was called and that she, um, you know, was taken by ambulance, you know, to like Santa Monica Hospital and she was alive, but in a coma at the time. And then the ambulance was told by her psychiatrist to turn around and bring the body back. And so they did that. I don't know why they would do that, but there was the... Um, the the owner of the EMT paramedic company, Ken Hunter, um, said that he was on the ambulance when they came to her house, and um, and that you know uh, on the drive, you know they were told to turn around, and there were seven members of the ambulance team that corroborated that story or that worked for the company that corroborated that story, but that's not the story that was given to the police. Okay. So. There's a chance that she should have survived this. She could have had treatment, but they turned her around and brought her body back to the, her comatose body, not her dead body, her comatose body back to the house. In what world is that allowed? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I mean, like, what do you, you know, because the paramedic's job is to like take care of people and get them treatment. So I don't know what they could have said to turn them around. Um, but they, that's what the, the paramedic company has said. And again, the owner and seven witnesses said that that's what happened. Now there's another, you know, hiccup in all of this because she also had a friend named Pat Newcomb and she was also worked as Maryland's publicist at the time. Um, 
And Marilyn and her had had a, a bit of a tiff recently because Marilyn believed that she was also having an affair with Robert Kennedy. Um, but yep. she said that she was called to the house at 1.30 a.m. Uh, by the housekeeper. And, you know, 1.30 a.m. is two hours after, you know, the body was supposed to be found. The body was supposed to not be found until after three. And this woman is saying she was called to the house at 1.30 and Marilyn was already dead. Two and that she saw earlier. the body. Huh? Yeah. So two hours earlier than what the police reports oh, say. Okay. Yeah. So the official report says 3 a.m. Okay. But she's saying she was there at 1.30 a.m. and Marilyn was already dead. Um, okay. yeah, so lots of different accounts. And then, um, there was also, um, another, um, the, um, author, Arthur Jacobs was somebody who ran PR for Marilyn and, um, his widow says that she and her husband were at the Hollywood bowl that night and that someone came into the concert, um, and they had to leave and, um, and she didn't know why at first, but you know, that her husband, Arthur Jacobs went to Marilyn's house that night and, um, knowing that she was already dead and the wife of, um, said that that happened at 10 PM. So again, the official report says 3 AM, she was found dead. This other woman says she saw her at 1 30 AM dead. And then this new person is saying, oh, no, no, no. My husband was called out of a concert at 10 p.m. knowing she was already dead. So did the attorney general leave? So this is questionable, too, because some people say he was never there. Some people right. say he was there in the early afternoon. Right. Um, and, you know, so it and nobody says that or there was one account, I think, that he came back later in the evening with Dr. Greenson, that the two of them came back together. Oh. Um, and that is, um, that part of the story is also important because, um, you know, with the wiretaps and everything, Otash was the private investigator that set up the wiretaps for the mafia. Um, he said that, um, and apparently these tapes were available at some point. We're going to talk about all the evidence that we're missing at some, you know, later. Um, but he said that there was a recording um, and I think he said it was like around 8 PM that, um, that, uh, you know, she had made a call to Lawford, um, so the Kennedy's brother-in-law and, um, you know, was really upset at Bobby and, um, you know, it kind of was making threats again about telling and all of that. Um, and so that they said they had an account of her calling him. And then the rumor was that. Lawford is the one that called Robert Kennedy. He was in San Francisco at the time. And he told him, you need to calm her down. She's saying she's going to the press on Monday. This was a Saturday. Um, and so he said, you need to come, come down here and calm her down. And, and so that's what the report on this story, again, many different stories, but the report was that then Robert Kennedy flew down um, to try to calm her down. And so that was when it happened in the afternoon. Okay. Um, but the stories that say that he and, um, psychiatrist Greenson came back um you know the PI says that you can hear on the tape that they're arguing um and she is threatening to go public and um then at some point you hear Bobby Kennedy say Marilyn put the knife down and then apparently she cut him like cut his hand and then um you know and you hear Green Greenson in there and they kind of like wrestled the knife away from her 
Um, and so, you know, again, Otash private investigator says there are these tapes, but you know, the FBI took everything or things happened to go missing. And so that was never made public. And this is during J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. So we know that they're a little interesting. Okay. Well, and then that's, you know, that's the other thing. So, um, yeah, J. Edgar, J. Edgar Hoover was definitely a part of this. Um, so J. Edgar Hoover's involvement is that um, he wasn't a fan of the Kennedys. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, so he was not a fan of the Kennedys. And so they said that, you know, part of the wiretaps from the FBI were uh, because he wanted to get evidence to hurt the you know, their chances in politics. So, you know, President Kennedy was already in office, but the belief that Robert Kennedy was probably going to be elected next or something like that. And so, um, you know, so he definitely wanted to disrupt that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely, they, there are accounts saying that J. Edgar Hoover was a part of this and, um, and we'll get into the, like, different theories a little bit more, but, you know, that's one of the theories is that the FBI had a, a role in this. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, at some point, you know, so the police are called at some point and again, different, different, um, reports on like when, um, when the first police officer entered, he, um, documented that she was, um, lying wrapped in a sheet. And, um, he said she was kind of like posed exactly the way she was in one of the nude photo shoots. Um, which he found was odd. Um, he also noted that there were pill bottles next to her, um, but there was no glass. So no glass of water, no glass of champagne, which she was known to take her sleeping medication with champagne. So there was no glass of any liquid near her. So, you know, the idea that she took the pills and didn't have anything to drink with them would be odd. Um, she also had a phone in her hand at the, the receiver in her hand at the time that she was found. Um, so that's what the official report is. Now, there's a separate report, but it's the same detective who was the first one on the scene where he said that when he came in, the housekeeper had already stripped the sheets off the bed and had wrapped her in a clean sheet. Um, which, you know, hello for fucking with evidence, but, um, you know, I don't know why the housekeeper would do that unless she was instructed to do that. Um, right. Like you know, almost almost hiding something something so yeah the cover-up is definitely you know something that a lot lot of people really do believe in um so um and and I will say that you know uh, Eunice the housekeeper her story changes multiple times whether it's the timeline whether it's not she washed the sheets whether it's um you know who was there um you know her story changes a lot and um, the other thing that I want to say is all of the people that were either officially there or people that were, you know, supposed to have been there, you know, people assume they were there. Um, none of them were interviewed on record as part of the investigation. Wow. So that's interesting too. So like the friend that says she came at 1.30, there's no official report of her having a statement, um, you know, whether or not Bobby Kennedy was there, there is no record of him ever being questioned. Um, I mean, you know, Bobby so there is a lot about this. Not having to give a statement just because of his position, but the other people should have given statements for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, 
I want to get into the autopsy a little bit. So um, the autopsy was done um, by uh, Dr. Thomas Noguchi, and he's from Japan, and he had been uh, living here um, in LA for a couple of years. Um, And he performed, the the, the interesting thing is he performed the autopsy on Robert Kennedy after his assassination assassination at the Ambassador Hotel. just a few years later, you know, it was like five or six years later. Um, So, but it does seem like he was trying to do a thorough job. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he, you know, when you have this kind of um, death, you know, apparently one of the things that you do is you take out certain vital organs. Um, And so the, the organs that he took out were the kidneys and the intestines. And apparently you test like a portion of the intestines and if there's nothing there you you do the next section um because they were looking for is there any um like residue or pills or anything that would show you know how she died um and um and it turned out like there was nothing in her stomach but the kidneys and intestines he turned those over to a toxicologist named uh, raymond abernathy and it, and he turned, he turned in some other organs too, but Abernathy only ran tests on the blood and, and the liver. Um, and he did not run tests on the intestines or the kidneys were, which were the things that Noguchi said, you have to test these things. Um, and so days later when Noguchi went to get the, um, report, um, Abernathy just said, oh, we disposed of those organs. Cause I decided there was no further test necessary. So the organs were disposed of, not yeah. even kept in a jar somewhere, you know, you yeah. know, and that's part of the evidence. So those were disposed of. Um, and then the other interesting thing was that on her, you know, when they, they write up um, the report, um, apparently there are, I think, five different boxes that you have to check at the end of the report that's the mode of death. And so I think the five are homicide, suicide, um, like natural causes, accident, and then undetermined. And any time that you're not 100% sure, you have to check undetermined. And so in this case, the box for suicide was checked and then probable was written. And there have been many other coroners that have said, you don't do that. Like if it's probable, that means it's not proven and you should check the box for undetermined. Right. And, um, you know, but if the box for undetermined is checked, that means the case stays open. Whereas if the box for suicide right. is checked, they close the case. Again, it sounds like someone was paid off or something. <laughs> yes. So her case was closed because that box was checked. Okay. Um, you know, after that, um, you know, that's when, you know, we were realizing that police records were missing. Um, you know, in, there was like a, I guess, a bunch of like um, incoming and outgoing phone calls that were from like the weeks leading up to her death that they had gotten from the phone company. And all of those phone calls went missing. So whoever she was talking to, we don't have proof of that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um uh, people that, yeah, I already said people that were there were not formally interviewed. And then, um, a bunch of the FBI wiretapping tapes went missing as well. Um, you know, the other interesting thing is that a couple of the people who could have been witnesses <laughs> ended up taking vacation in Europe. So Pat Newcomb, who was the friend and publicist who is supposedly there at one 30 that morning, um, 
She ended up taking a six month vacation to Europe and never formally questioned by police. Six months. And, uh, six months. And then, huh? Six months. Yeah, six months. And people believed that the Kennedys sent her away. Uh-huh. And then when she came back, she suddenly had a job in Washington um, and was active in Bobby uh, Bobby's Senate campaign. And then uh, after that, she got a high position at MGM Studios. And so, you know, people would ask her, hey, how did you come back and suddenly have these positions? And she was like, well, I worked in the industry and, you know, whatever. But I mean, again, she was a publicist and then suddenly she's working for government in Washington and then yeah. did go back to the studio. But, um, and then the housekeeper also went all over Europe for six months. Um, and so she couldn't be interviewed officially either. Um, and that's Jack Clements, the, the first investigator said that he had really wanted to interview her about the washing of the sheets, but she was gone, you know, for so long that, um, you know, that, that she was never formally questioned. And then, um, the Anthony Summers, you know, who did the interviews for the Netflix tapes, um, he said that, um, apparently like in between interview, um, you know, so she, she thought the mics were turned off that he had finished interviewing her, was on break or something. And she thought the mics were turned off. And apparently they caught her on tape saying, why at my age, do I still have to cover this thing up? And that was in 1985. So this was years later and, you know, she's still covering up, but like, you know, I mean, so, you know, there are things like that, that, um, you know, definitely make you question and who's covering up and why. Um, and then Pat Newcomb was also said, um, that she said something about, you know, that she knows that she was murdered. She's just not a hundred percent sure if it was Bobby Kennedy or not. Oh, wow. That's a, a statement. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. Oh, um, I know that's a lot of information so far. <laughs> There's still a little bit more to go. So I want to get a little bit more into the, um, the theories. Um, so, you know, obviously, um, you know, one of the theories is the mafia and, um, you know, I already mentioned that, um, Jimmy Hoffa and then mob boss, uh, San Giacana, um, people were saying that, you know, that they wanted Monroe killed, um, but a lot of people say that, you know, that's not likely because um, there was this party that was thrown. And I want to stress, like, again, very sad. But, you know, Marilyn yeah. apparently was at this party and Frank Sinatra was there kind of mm-hmm. she was drugged and passing her around to friends. And um, the mafia was there, you know, because Frank Sinatra, Sinatra was very tied. Huh? You said Sinatra was the one that had drugged her? Well, they're saying because apparently Sinatra had like very well-known connections to the mafia and like the casinos and all of that. Yes. And so, um, so they were saying that Sinatra held this party. The mafia was there. She was there and she was drugged. We don't know if that was by Sinatra himself or the mafia. Um, oh. But they we're saying that the goal of this party though, was they were bringing the Kennedys and just like acting like it's a party. And they had bugged Marilyn's room and she didn't know any of this, but they were wanting to get tapes of her having sex with either one of them or both of them um, or get compromising photos of them um, so that they can use that as leverage to, to work out their casino deals that they were wanting to do. Oh my um, God. 
So, um, so that was one theory, but, um, and this, this came, this theory came out in a book that was, um, titled Marilyn Monroe murder cover up. And it was written by a PI named Milo Spurliaglio. Um, but yeah, but, um, you know, they say there's no evidence of this theory, but there were people that said there was this party and that she was there and they were there. Um, and all of that. So I don't know. Um, I mean, now I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'm just, it's hard with the mafia anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and I guess that night they didn't get the evidence that they wanted because, um, she was so heavily drugged that she was really out of it. And, um, so nothing happened with the Kennedys that night anyways. Yeah. Um, so, and then the CIA is another theory. So CIA or FBI, depending on who you asked. Um, and, you know, so again, it depends on which theory you're going with, but, you know, one of the theories is J. Edgar Hoover and like wanting to steal some of the Kennedy's thunder and, you know, steal the presidency away and um, yeah. not have them in positions of power because he was not a fan. Right. So, um, you know, that's where, you know, the FBI um, could be involved. Um, but this uh, was another theory that was put up by Norman Mailer, um, who wrote a biography about Marilyn Monroe in 1973. Um, and Mailer later publicly retracted his theory saying that he just didn't have evidence to support it. Um, but even though, you know, he retracted that there are still a lot of people that believe that, um, you know, because there, I mean, there was just, you know, I think when you're talking political power and all of that, you know, just people do all kinds of crazy things to claim power or to stop people who are in power that they are not a fan of. So, um, that could be a thing. And the wiretaps and CIA taps were a real thing. Um, and then, and obviously the Kennedys are another suspect. Um, so um, uh, in 1960, or in the 1960s, um, a book called The Strange Death of Marilyn Monroe was written by Frank A. Cappell. And, um, you know, he, he alleged that it was uh, John or Robert Kennedy or both. Um, and again, the, the main reason that was cited was that, you know, she, she was threatening to out them and there are multiple witnesses that said she was saying that Lufford said it um her psychiatrist said it um a lot of her friends said that she said it there was a a photographer um who said that she had told him she was going to come out on Monday and report this um so there were multiple witnesses that said she definitely had made that threat so I believe that threat was made that she was going to go public with the affairs um I just don't know I said, I'm sure the threat was made. I mean, based on everything that you said. Yeah. And then, you know, um, the, you know, the other thing that I want to stress, cause I know like nowadays, like a president having an affair would probably not be a deal breaker. Um, but at the time, you know, they were Catholic, um, you know, it was very different time in terms of whether or not, you know, you could have a public affair and recover from it, even though a lot of people said that even their wives knew this was a thing. Um, you know, but it just wasn't a thing. And then there were other rumors that, um, she had at some point gotten pregnant with Bobby's baby and had had an abortion and that she was, and he made her get an abortion. And then she was threatening to come out with that. Um, and this one though, the abortion part, there were only a few people who said that most of the main witnesses did not report that. So I don't know whether this is true or not. Um, 
But the other part was abortion was legal at, illegal at the time and they're Catholic. So, um, you know, morally, ethically and legally, they would have been in big trouble if that had been true. So again, I, there's not enough evidence to say for sure whether that was true. Um, you know, but that's definitely one of the things. Um, and then, um, I do want to say that, um, in 1983, um, Noguchi, who was the doctor that did the autopsy, um, he published memoirs about her case and like the allegations about discrepancies in the case. Um, and he said that, um, you know, the, the people obviously were saying that she couldn't have ingested the pills because they would have been in her stomach. And he said that because, um, you know, the, um, because she like took these kind of pills regularly that they would absorb pretty fast. So that doesn't prove that, um, you know, she was drugged another way, you know, she could have taken the pills herself and that been a thing. Yeah. Um, there were beliefs that she could have been administered an enema or an injection. And the autopsy reported no needle marks. Um, but apparently she had gotten uh, an injection from her psychiatrist just the day before. So they were saying, well, that needle mark should have been there. So that didn't seem accurate. But, you know, the the um, coroner said, yeah, but, you know, that needle mark probably wouldn't have shown up a day later. Um, you know, if there was no bruising. Um, and so, you know, he really tried to, like, say that based on his observations, like that he really does believe it's um, suicide. Um oh. You know, so, and that was in 1983 that he, and even, even though like her organs went missing, he's still saying he believed it was a suicide. Yeah. And it was the other, you know, is the toxicologist who got rid of the, um, the right. other organs, but yeah. So, but again, you know, and he is the one that checked the box. So was, did he end up getting up to be a part of the cover up? Was he paid? Was he threatened that, you know, I, we'll never know. Um, but yeah, he did come out in 1983 and back what he had written in the original autopsy. Um, oh, and the other thing I forgot to mention that Marilyn apparently kept a very detailed little red diary Doesn't where she documented, <laughs> she documented all of her affairs and, yeah. you know, who told her what and what promises were made. Um, and so, um, you know, there was. I think a lot of different people were worried about that diary coming out and it was a diary that her friends knew of and that diary was never found. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and all the pictures that, you know, would show any evidence of a relationship with the Kennedys, all of that was removed from her house as well before the police got there. Okay. So that sounds suspicious for sure. That yes. at least the diary was gone. Yeah. Um, and then, um, there is another story that, um, you know, in this one, there's again, two different ways that people describe it. Um, but people think that Lawford and Greenson were involved, um, because again, she called Lawford and he's the one that called Bobby to come down. Greenson was the psychiatrist who, you know, the housekeeper called and was supposed supposedly the first one to say that she was dead. Um, but there are people that said that Lawford and Kennedy came back in the evening um, and, um, or I'm sorry, Green, Greenson and Lawford, and that they, um, the rumors were that they gave her an enema 
uh, with the you know dosage of, of these heavy narcotics and mm-hmm. that that's how it happened. And then there was, and this was only one story. I couldn't find anything else to back this, but there was another story that said Greenson was observed. Um, and again, I don't know if this was by Eunice, you know, she changed her story many times, but in my mind, other than uh, Lawford, she would have been the only witness there, I think at the time, unless, um, you know, the friend and publicist was there, I'm not sure, but it didn't say who reported this, but somebody reported that Greenson um, gave her a shot to the heart. And, you know, so the, the question is, was that a final dose of narcotics to sleeping pills or something to kill her? Or was he giving her a shot of adrenaline just to try to save her? Um, but the report was that, you know, it was, he hit, he hit so hard in her, you know, trying to hit her heart that it broke one of her ribs. And again, that was not in the autopsy. So, right. but again, if know, somebody would own that her rib actually broke if it wasn't in the autopsy or who would have been privy to that information. Um, right. But that was one of the other stories, just not a lot of evidence for that one. Okay. And then um, the last two things that I want to say is one about Dr. Greenson, which I am really looking forward to the year 2039. Okay. Because apparently all of Dr. Greenson's files are at UCLA and UCLA um, handed over a lot of the files to people who are investigating and, um, and it had all kinds of things. I mean, it had, love letters, you know, all, all kinds of things that show that he was having an inappropriate relationship. Um, it had documents of the different men and people in her life, you know, that had mistreated her or, you know, she felt like we're using her and that kind of thing. Um, but there were some files that were sealed and UCLA told these investigators, um, the order is that those files are to be unsealed in 2039. So that would be long after Marilyn's death, that would be long after Dr. Greenson passes away. And so why would he do that unless there was evidence about what happened that night? You know, like, because it would make sense. I don't want these to come out until after I'm gone, (laughs) you know? Well, and honestly, until like everyone's gone, I feel like most people at that day and time are probably going to be dead. A lot of them are probably dead now. Yeah. And then Dr. Greenson was, um, you know, questioned, um, and he said something like, I can't tell you the whole story, but you should talk to Bobby Kennedy. And, um, and this was years after her death, you know, so I feel like there were people who were there that night that were getting tired of covering up. Yeah. And so, you know, he made that comment, the housekeeper made the comment about why do I have to keep covering this up? The friend, you know, suspects that it was murder. Um, you know, so there was lots of, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like all of them knew that it was a cover up, but none of them could say it at the time, which would make sense if the FBI, the president of the United States, the attorney general or the mafia, you know, are all involved. I would be afraid to speak up to. Oh, absolutely. Because any one of those people could yeah. kill you or your reputation or, you know, I mean, it's it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. So those are all the different theories. So, Miss Alana, do you have one that you like the best? <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think the Kennedys killed her necessarily, but I could see a fix-it man doing it. Yeah. Like Bobby being there as a safe person. So maybe they did it, but it wasn't them. Yeah, it was him that killed her directly, yeah. Um, 
I also, I mean, I know she struggled with all the mental health stuff. I, but like she left notes and all the other circumstances. So to me, it seems like she would have left a note probably. Um, It could have been an accidental overdose. I, again, think like if the toxicologist got rid of all of the intestines and things, that's really fucking shady. There could have been something in there that we didn't even expect. Like it wouldn't have been a barbiturate or something. So yeah, I don't know. Oh, and then one of the other things, I forgot to mention this just as a discrepancy, oh. um, that housekeepers reported that she noticed the light and that the door was locked and that he had to come, that Greenson had to come break the window. Right. Um, apparently the door didn't have a lock on it. So oh. her saying she couldn't get in the room was not true. Um, oh. And, you know, he said that he broke the window to get inside, window but the broken. glass was on the outside of the house, which means the window is broken from the inside. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they're, they're fucking sketchy. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know, you know, I don't think it was the mafia because I really do think the mafia was using her to try to get to the Kennedys. So I don't think it was the mafia. I don't think Uh, it was the mafia based on my understanding. And I don't think like, I mean, I don't know, but in my reading and stuff of like Marilyn and Sinatra's relationship and stuff and like their link to the mob that way, like, I don't think there was as much bad blood there as there would have been with the government. And if she had already threatened Jackie with a letter and then Jackie didn't go to the birthday party, this is two weeks later, she's threatening to go public. Obviously it was escalating. Like they needed to do something. So. Yeah. So anybody that was trying to protect, protect the president and the attorney general could have been involved. Um, And then, you know, the FBI could have been involved, you know, because, you know, obviously, I oh, the you know, she also, um, the FBI, I guess, um, had evidence that she might have had some secrets, like government secrets that she wasn't supposed to know, and that she had threatened to release some of that too. Um, and so that would be a reason why the FBI or CIA might be wanting to quiet her. Yeah, like pillow talk, something came out basically. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I think that she, honestly, J. Edgar Hoover was a bold ass motherfucker and that's really yeah. stuff. So I would not be shocked. Like, Yeah. And I think she even, um, like at some point she even made a phone call. Um, you know, she was trying to call the president, um, and you know, they wouldn't let her talk to him. And, um, you know, she said something at that time about, um, you know, she knew about some um, secret governmental, you know, um, place in Nevada. Um, and she knew that, um, you know, that uh, they were maybe plotting to kill Fidel Castro. Um, area 51. Huh? Is it Area 51? She didn't say Area 51. Um, but, you know, but but it was but this was supposed to be related to like communism and like the war and all that stuff. So I don't think it was Area 51. Um, okay. But Nevada. But, so that was another rumor was that she had left this message for the president saying, hey, don't forget that I know these things. Um, and so, again, that would be another reason why either, you know, people that were protecting the president or FBI, CIA, knowing what they're planning to do or whatever, you know, um, wanted to keep that under wraps. So, you know, in my mind, I do kind of believe that it could have been a murder and it, I definitely think it was tied to people in power more than it would be the mafia or something. Yeah, me um, too. 
Yeah. And, and again, I, I agree with you. I mean, she was clearly dealing with mental health, but the other thing that I want to say, which is something you said earlier was that there were rumors that her and DiMaggio were reuniting and that they were planning to remarry on August 6th. Yeah. Like in a few weeks. Um, and, um, and then, you know, that she had these projects coming up that she was looking forward to, and she was still really wanting to have children. And like, you know, people that were close to her said, you know, she was really dealing with like betrayal from the president and Bobby Kennedy and feeling used and the rat pack, you know, they apparently passed her around a lot and mistreated her too. Um, so she was like very upset with the men in her life, but it seems like she was turning back to Joe DiMaggio because he really was a stand-up guy for the most part. I know there was domestic violence. I'm not forgiving that. Um, but you know, overall he, he seemed to really love her and, you know, that's kind of what I wanted to wrap with because, um, you know, she didn't have children, she didn't have family. Um, and so there was nobody to claim her body. So Joe DiMaggio came and claimed her body. Um, he planned and paid for her funeral and crypt. Um, and then he only invited 30 people. He kept everybody that had ever hurt her out. So the Rat Pack were not invited. Kennedy, the mob folks, none of them were invited to her funeral and everybody was really, you know, all the Hollywood elite were really upset that they weren't invited, but he kept it to 30 people that he knew actually cared for her. Um, And then apparently, and again, I don't know who reported this. I heard it somewhere, but I don't know who was in the room when he supposedly said this. Um, But apparently on his deathbed, he said something like, well, at least I get to reunite with Marilyn. So it sounds like he really did love her. He loved her until the day he died. Um, you know, he he tried to save her in many, many ways over the years. And, you know, he took care of her when she passed. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, I just want to say he seemed like a really stand-up guy, even though there was some violence there. Um, so well, and it's hard too, because at the time it was so normal. Like, was as horrible as it sounds, it was so normal for there to be violence in a relationship and Marilyn yeah. being such she seemed like such a free spirit and she did things for her that she knew would be good for her for the most part like I, I'm sure you know it's horrible to say but he probably married she was too much of a woman for him you know she was too and I just if he you know really was doing better and standing up I mean it's it's so hard to excuse it I'm not trying to at all but um if he, if he was doing better and they were really happy, that makes him happy he did right by her. So, yeah, there were also reports and I, you know, I don't know how often this happened, but there were also reports that sometimes when she was going to Frank Sinatra's house, um, he would go there and like try to stop her from going in or wait outside to make sure she was safe because he felt like they were mistreating her there. Um, you know, cause again, Frank Sinatra and, mob influenced people um and so you know it seemed like you know even when she wasn't accepting his help he really was trying to help her in whatever ways he could yeah and I mean we shouldn't we should say like if he was like harassing her in any way like that's not great it didn't sound like that though it seemed like he was legit trying to protect her um yeah so anyways there is a lot there, lots of different theories, twists on almost all the theories about why or who is there, all that. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like there are just too many discrepancies in the timeline and who is there and whether the ambulance came or, you know, the cops were the only one that came when she was already declared dead. I mean, there just seems like there's too many things to not believe there was something to cover up. Because if she just died, 
you know, of an overdose and people just happen to find her that way, they would have called the ambulance. They wouldn't have tried to do everything so secretly and privately. Um, and they would have just like, you know, gone into their grief and taken care of what needed to be done, take care of themselves. But instead, you know, all these different stories, I mean, somebody is not telling the truth. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think if you compile all the stories, there's kind of a clear storyline there. It's just the key players are missing, right? Like you kind of know, like in my opinion, it reminds me of like George Michael's death where like they called, who did they called like, was it like Lindsay Lohan or something or something? It, or, or maybe that was Heath Ledger. Maybe I'm mixing the two up, but it was like one of those where like they called like some random celebrity and like they waited an hour to call 911 and it was like a whole yeah. thing and they could have saved that person. And I think like with high profile deaths, that's just so common um, that the timelines are just screwy. I mean, you even think about Prince and Michael Jackson, like the timelines yeah. are just screwy. And so um yeah, I don't know, but it's a tragedy. I mean, Marilyn, she was so young and like she lived quite the life for 36. So yeah, that's all I got. But, and I do want to say, you know, I know for her time, you know, because everybody, you know, she's a sex symbol and a bomb, uh, blonde bombshell and all the things. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people did appreciate about her was that she embraced her sexuality, which yeah. was not, you know, she embraced the femme fatale thing. You know, she um, was not somebody who was like, shy about sex or ashamed of sex or things like that and you know I I do think that's one of the um things that she did that was like kind of empowering of women and I know some of that came out of trauma so sometimes we have things that happen that are really bad but it can lead to good things and I feel like her reclaiming her body and her sexuality and all of that stuff is her kind of reclaiming over the trauma um, you know, so I really appreciate that about her, you know, as a, a feminist woman in today's world, you know, I think there was women like that, that like opened some doors. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I feel the same way with people like her and like Jane Russell and, um, Jean Harlow, Audrey Hepburn, all these women who they still have an impact on pop culture and society and how women feel about certain things. And, you know, like they're, it sucks because I mean the double standard is huge nowadays for women, but I think it was even bigger. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think just having these beautiful women owning their sexuality and being like, "Yeah, I'm hot. Deal with it." Like, you yeah. know, it's just amazing. And um, I mean, yeah, we can talk about the Bechdel test and all the things, but they they had an impact on women everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, then I just think of things like the Andy War- Warhol, you know, uh, <laughs> drawing on screen, you know, whatever. Um, but that's such a famous image. And apparently he like stole that image off one of the like publicity posters um, for something's got to give. Yeah. Um, and so he did not have permission to do that. But, you know, that that silk screen drawing um, of his like, I mean, that is that image is everywhere and you know I mean girl we have some friends in Palm Springs that have her image and likeness I mean I have her likeness in my house like (laughs) (laughs) well and I know you know because you're an Audrey Hepburn fan too and I know that she was up for um Holly Go Lightly too um and Truman wanted her or Capote wanted her to uh be in that role but I know it would not be the same without Audrey what I will say about Miss Holly Golightly, which could be a controversial moment um I think Marilyn 
was right in terms of the beautiful woman who was very empowered. But I think Audrey had the nuance and the intricacies that maybe Marilyn couldn't do. Um, And I know Capote till his death was like, I fucking am so mad that Marilyn didn't. (laughs) Capote never shut up. Yeah. Um, But I will stand my ground. And I do think that um, Audrey was the right choice, at least to me. Um, But I think Marilyn could have killed it too. I'm not saying she couldn't have. So. Yeah, I know. I would not want to take that away from you, though. I know that's one of your favorites. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Me, outside of uh, Tiffany's in New York, almost every time I'm there, my goodness. <laughs> I know, you gotta have your coffee outside of Tiffany's. But the window, there's a window. Yep, the window, beautiful window. I have photos of you by the window. <laughs> so anyways, that's the life and death of Marilyn Monroe. And uh, yeah, I mean, she is forever one of the most beautiful women of all time. She's, I think, forever one of the biggest stars of all time. Um, yeah, I just, I don't think that, um, yeah, I don't think her legend, you know, her, her, her contributions to the world will ever go unnoticed. You know, I think her fame and popularity are going to be there forever. She just was one of those people. Yeah, I think so, too. She was just so so wonderful and so amazing so yeah and, and I know she's considered blonde, blonde bombshell but you know Jack Lemon was very like that girl had comedic timing like she got it like she you know she wasn't just an actress or a singer or a beauty or a model you know she had beautiful comedic timing and she worked her shit out like she was so funny and some of those she a brunette or at least a dirty blonde she had darker hair she was not platinum (laughs) she went platinum and yeah it's funny in my research they were talking about how she had different levels of lightening her hair (laughs) to get it to be platinum (laughs) Uh I think it's probably easier nowadays but back then you really had to work for some platinum hair oh yeah and it probably fried your hair can you imagine yeah Yeah. (laughs) um but yeah she was she was such a star. Well, thank you for telling a story that I absolutely have always been interested in and I love and I love Marilyn and all of that. Um, I guess, yeah, I, I don't really have anything to add with the oh, story, but do you know, one more thing that I want to say though, about the trauma stuff, um, she was very rare in that she was always honest about her trauma, you know? So when she was interviewed by reporters or whatever, she would talk about being sexually abused in foster care. Um, you know, she would openly talk about her mom's mental health and how hard that was. She would openly talk about not knowing her dad. Um, so well, it's wild that that's not really documented, you know, yeah, you know, but she was willing to share these things that, you know, normally people are shamed for, and you're not allowed to talk about. Um, and I really want to stress that to me, that was so brave and, yeah. you know, especially, I think it's even brave now. It's really hard to talk about this stuff, but back then, yeah. you know, when the whole, it's always the girl's fault and all of that stuff, like, you know, that, that mentality, I can't even imagine being dishonest about that kind of trauma during that time. Um, and, and one of the things that I want to say about the way that she framed that, um, she really framed all that in a way that was meant to empower other people who had been abused because she would say things like, you know, I went through all this and look at me, I turned out to be Marilyn Monroe, you know, so she was really framing it as, 
you can't let your trauma stop you. You know, you, you know, the trauma is a part of your story, but it doesn't have to be the end of your story. And um, so I just wanted to add that because I forgot to say that earlier, but that was one of the huge contributions she did too. And at the time, you know, I don't think she was really given credit for that. Um, but I really do think she should be because, you know, people need to find their voice and stand in their power and, um, you know, and, and not own that stuff as like something they have to feel shame about. Um, so I really appreciated that she wanted to send that message that you can't let your trauma define you. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So for anybody that's dealing with trauma or anything like that, go be a Marilyn, <laughs> you know, live your dreams, find your courage, you know, do whatever you need to do to reclaim your life and your happiness. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Retweet, hashtag, <laughs> all the things. <laughs> all I have to say about that. <laughs> Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for that story. You're welcome. I appreciate listening. I appreciate you telling it. Um, but yeah, friends, if you wanna, you know, either follow us on Instagram at what the L Pod, you could submit listener stories or just in general comments, stories, feedback, anything to us at what the pod at gmail.com. You are also welcome to follow us on Facebook if you search what the L Pod or what the L podcast. I'm not quite sure. One of those two. Um, (laughs) Well, and I know we're coming up on spooky season, so we would love some hometown stories, some personal ghost stories. Oh yeah. You got that you would want us to share during spooky season. Cause you know, we're a fan of a ghost story. Yes, it is spooky season. I also want to acknowledge that next week begins Hispanic and Latin American heritage month. Mm. And we might be doing a couple stories in that vein as well. Um, Absolutely. But we just want to say, you know, a huge, huge thank you to all of you who are listening, our friends. Uh, we, Mom, we have a listener in Argentina now. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a few from across the globe, right? I know. I'm really excited about it. I've been um, watching the metrics like, ooh, where's one in Argentina? So that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think that's it in terms of things you can follow us on. Just keep listening on Wednesdays. We're going to have a spicy little keg coming out for you in the next couple of days as well I'm pretty sure so yeah um keep an eye out for that and mom I just want to say I appreciate you (laughs) I appreciate you and we appreciate you all all right thanks so much friends bye bye